Each of us has a unique career story to tell. For some, these fly high like rocket launches. For others, they're more like the game of shoots and ladders with advances and setbacks along the way. Either way, we learn countless lessons from these experiences. And that's what we put into the spotlight here at Career Sessions Career Lessons. Join discussions featuring a variety of guests sharing their stories of ups and downs, as well as the secrets of their success and what drives them to continue moving forward. We break down the tools and resources that will help you establish your dream career and realize your professional goals. Here's your host, J.R. Lowry. I'm J.R. Lowry. This is Career Sessions, Career Lessons, which is brought to you by Pathwise.io. Pathwise is dedicated to helping you live the career you deserve, providing career coaching, content, courses, and community. Basic membership is free, so visit Pathwise.io online and join today. Today, my guest is Angela Wilbraham, who is the CEO of A-Team Group, a firm she founded in 2001. A-Team Group delivers distinguished content to the financial services industry based on in-depth domain expertise and regulatory technology, data management, and trading technology. The firm is run by experienced business journalists who thrive on taking complex business and technology topics and turning them into compelling content assets. They publish a range of blogs, industry guides, webinars, white papers, and they also host regular industry events in London and New York. Prior to starting A-Team Group, Angela was an editor with Waters Information Services. She and her family live in England. Angela, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, sure thing. So give our audience an overall sense of 18 Group and what it is that you do. So 18 Group is a content marketing agency, and we've been around for 22 years now. Our focus is very much in financial technology. And so we look at how technology and data helps banks and asset management firms to trade and then do everything that's required to, to back up those trades in the mid and back office. So you, like you said, started this 22 years ago. What led you to found it back in 2001? Originally, I'd been a journalist in financial technology. So in this very sector, I was writing about market data for a company called Waters back then and had a lot of fun, met a lot of people, had a really good network. Our company then got bought by another company and things changed and the team changed. And so I left and did a little consulting And it was actually my business partner, Andrew Delaney, who said, oh, why don't you turn this into a business? And I had no idea what I was doing, but I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. So I got a few early consulting projects through the connections I had as a journalist, where you're talking to senior management level at a lot of the vendors who supply the data and technology. And that was just the start of it. And before long, we were looking at it saying, well, we do journalism, why don't we start a publication? And so that's how we ended up in the content side of things. So what were those early days like otherwise for you? What were some of the early struggles that invariably come with starting a business? Yeah, so I'd say it's a real mix. Some of it was so much fun and you're all enthused because you're just out on your own and you're getting some deals and delivering, but there were definitely challenges. So I would say for me, my number one challenge was probably confidence on the business side. So I had confidence going and talking about the market and what's happening and the trends and knowing who was who, all of those things I was fine with and pulling together the content for projects. But then the actual 
I've got a business here and I've got to think about where the next project's coming from and where the money's coming from and I need some support over here and how are we actually going to raise the invoices and all the real basic things that I just didn't know to start with. So that took some time and it took a while to build that confidence that I can do all these things as well and figure it out. So I think that was probably the earliest challenges I had. How much did you really know what you were getting yourself into when you started this back back then? I didn't have a clue. (laughs) So I didn't. And I think I was very fortunate that I had some good people around me who really helped. Some of my early mistakes, I think, were all centered around not being able to say no to people. So if we were invited to come in and pitch on a project, we would talk about a certain level of project and they'd go, oh, could you do this as well? like, yeah, yeah, we could do that. And then I would walk away going, oh my God, how am I going to do that? So we had one or two projects probably in the first five years that were beyond our scale, our size, and they were just too big for us to be able to deliver on or to fit the quote that we'd given. So, yeah. so that was a lesson that we did. We did learn quite fast. We're like, okay, we can't do that. We've got to be more upfront about what we're capable of and not capable of. And since then, that's that's been a lot easier. How long do you feel like it took you to feel like you had a viable, sustainable business? Very early on, it felt sustainable because there was money coming in and we found new projects and it just kind of worked. But it didn't mean I didn't worry about where the next projects were coming from. But in terms of it turning from sort of some ad hoc consulting that kept me going and maybe kept a couple of my early people going to turning into a more sort of solid business that had you know proper revenue attached and a growing team, I would say really... I don't know, maybe seven years or so to make that switch. And I think a lot of that was my own mindset about what I might be capable of doing. And it took that long to build the confidence to do it. So that would have been around the time of the financial crisis back in 2008, which I'm sure, you know. Slightly earlier, slightly earlier. But yeah, yeah. then swiftly came along. So that was a challenge. Yeah. How did you get through that? So I remember there's lots of people in our industry remember being at Cybos at the time that the the whole thing sort of collapsed and lots of people walking out the door and panels being half filled and just realizing the scale of it was pretty shocking. And then the impact on us, we did have to make some changes because there was a lot of fear and there was restricting budgets. And because what we did was very much in the marketing space, marketing budgets get cut. It's one of those sort of early things that's impacted. So we did have to lay off a couple of people. We just launched a magazine at the time. And being sort of the, the former journalist, we were so excited. It was this glossy print magazine that we'd done. It was called ATMIQ. We thought that was very clever. And it just looked great. And we got some really amazing interviews because, of course, when you've got something, you put someone on the cover, you get even more access to people. But it just cost money and was a lot of effort with no sort of clear revenue attached. It was more of a marketing and an access thing. And so we had to cut that. So there were a few things like that that we had to adapt, but we managed to get through that, thankfully. The pandemic, I'm sure, was another challenging period, particularly since your whole event part of your business pretty much got put on hold during that time. Yeah, absolutely. So events are a good, just over 50% of our revenues. And right as it was starting to fall apart, we had a data management summit planned for London. It was the middle or near the end of March. And we were just watching it and reassuring clients, no, we're still going to be there. We're still going to hold it. And then we realized, I think two weeks before the event, 
there's no way this event can go ahead. So we had to cancel it. But obviously we had sponsors who'd paid a lot of money and we stood to lose a lot of money. We didn't get any money back from the venues. And actually some of them were yeah. really good and they they actually did let us hold over and use some of the credit later. But there was lots of that kind of negotiating. Those first months probably was pretty scary looking because you just didn't know what was going to happen. And so how do you adapt? How do you change things, particularly when half your revenue is tied to being physically in a room with lots of other people. And I have to say, my team was incredible. So very quickly, we're like, okay, how, we still need to deliver on this event. And so within a week of saying we were cancelling it, my event producer, Lorna, who's amazing, she had already scheduled online recordings. And we were like, okay, we're going to make this virtual. We don't know how. And we ended up with a web page with all the recordings of these panel sessions that we'd done. And we figured out other packages for the sponsors. And my salesperson, Joe, also amazing, pulled all that together and negotiated with all of the clients that we had. We got a lot of feedback that we kept them informed and we delivered something even in that kind of circumstance. And we ended up, we didn't lose revenue from that. And then we had to adapt. I should say, my uh, Jerry Ann was also amazing figuring out the tech end of how you pull all that together. Mm. That was just fantastic. So, yeah, we then had to adapt because it wasn't ending anytime soon. And we right. worked with our tech partners and actually created an online virtual events platform. And so that now is an asset that we have and we still use it for all our webinars. So we run two, three webinars sometimes a week and we have various audiences coming in and sponsors and broadcasting it live. And we have online voting and polls and all of those kind of things. So that was something that was a real positive that came out of it, but it was quite hard work to get that developed. And then the risk of, okay, we've got to go live. Is it going to work when you have your next set of virtual events? So yeah, challenging, but a lot of fun in the end. We had PPP loans for small businesses in the US. Did the UK government offer anything similar for small businesses? Yeah. So they had, I mean, actually the government, after a good few weeks of panicking about what was going to happen, they did come up with some really creative ideas. So they did have loans. I think it was interest-free loans. We didn't take that. Fortunately, we didn't need to. And then they also had, I can't remember what it was called now, but a scheme where certain employees could be put on furlough. That was it. So if you didn't need so much of your staff, they would pay like 80% of their salary for you for a few months. And it just gave a little breathing space in a couple of areas. So that was incredible. I was very impressed when they did that. But of course, we're paying for it now. So what's the state of the business today? Do you feel like you've recovered back to a pre-COVID level or are you still working to get back there? So I'd say in many ways, it's a lot stronger. I think the pandemic really turned things around for us it like brought us together as a team even more so. And we had to be really thorough about all of our products and our processes and everything that we were doing. So, and it actually helped us on the cash flow front because when you're paying for live events, there's so many costs. It's such a huge investment. Yeah. And when you suddenly go virtual, you're not charging the same level, but at the same time, your risk is so much lower. It just helped us to rebuild and then to examine some new areas. So we've launched an ESG publication and brand, which we then put an event to and some awards. So yeah, it just gave us a little bit of freedom in a way. Once we figured it out and we stopped panicking, we were able to come up with something new. So I feel like we've come out of that stronger. We're now back to live events. And I would say that's what's changed. Lots of people are working from home. So getting the right 
day for your event and then on the day how many people are actually going to come because when they're in the office they want to be in the office and they want to be right. at home on the other day so i'd say that's a little trickier to navigate now than it was before people saw events as obviously valuable and a great thing to be at but also a little bit of a jolly and a way to get out of the office and now that's right. not the case so figuring that out and it's all about the strength of content and the speakers how you entice them to come and attend your event is key yeah it's it's very true that just the whole event space it's offered sort of new opportunities, much more virtual events and just the freedom that comes with that. I, one of my other podcast guests formed a business around this. I mean, he, he had been a ticket resale business. And when this started and there were no events going on, he pivoted into running online events for companies and for entertainment acts. And it's created a new opportunity for him at the same time. The in-person events is just a bit of a landmine right now in terms of really knowing what to expect. Yeah, or, absolutely. The minefield, I should say. Yeah. And that's interesting that he started a, a sort of new area of his business because we've looked at that as well. And I think we have a sponsorship model. So it's the vendors who pay and support the events and we bring the audience in. So the sponsors still want the face-to-face interaction and our role, I see very much as connecting people, right? So it's yeah. you're connecting the people, the practitioners on the bank side who want to meet with other practitioners and understand where they are versus their peers, but they also want to meet with providers of technology and data and the vendors, the ones who pay us, want to meet all those people who are buying systems. So that role is a lot harder when you move to a virtual model. And so actually we now are exploring online training as a way mm-hmm. to, well, how do you bring in revenues from both sides when you're not face-to-face? It seems like certificate programs are mushrooming. Yeah. Is that something that you're considering offering in terms of some of the domain areas like data management and trading tech? Yeah. So we've launched a few courses right now just to see how it's gone. And we've worked with partners, so practitioners who are out in the market, who've got the hands-on current knowledge And they've worked with us on the program. So we've got one in ESG. So it's an ESG foundation course. We've got Mm. one around market abuse regulation because that's such a huge area and one that there's a lot of fear around the banks. And then we're also doing like quarterly updates on regulatory change with an EU sort of policy expert. So there's a few things in the running there. We've looked at the certification because I think that's what people are looking for in their career development. There's a lot of investment in their their time and how they develop themselves. So we are looking at both the CPD and accreditation route. And we've got a few things going there. We haven't done it yet, but it's probably where we'll go. So what's the shape and size of the organization today? So we are still a relatively sort of SME enterprise. We're quite a small organization. So we're probably 15 people in our core team. And then we work with a marketing partner who do a lot of our sort of social media engagement and some of the tech backend and website stuff. And then we have a tech partner who build our websites and built the virtual events platform. And then we have a whole load of freelancers, depending on what we're doing. So it's, uh, I'd say, a very lovely team of people. Before we started, you talked about spending most of your time managing the actual business. When you think about the management of it, the leadership of it, what type of leadership style do you try to adopt? I clearly went into this business not having learned much about business, but of course, you learn over time all these different leadership styles. And for me, I think the sort of participative leadership is the one I favor. So I think that the team are so important and how we all work together. And so it's all about 
collaboration. So I don't have all the answers for things. And a lot of my different team members are the ones who are sort of face on in the industry, having the conversations that need to be had, and they will then come back to me and we share things. We debate what's the best way to do this or that. But then I see my role as making sure it all runs as smoothly as it possibly can. So I help to facilitate. So if I can see my salesperson's really getting hung up because they don't have this information or this isn't to hand. How can I create a system or a platform or a piece of information that's going to help them do that better? And then I work with some other team members to help deliver that. So it's all connecting the dots and trying to look at efficiency and processes and systems and is it working together? So very much that operational side. So I spend my time doing a lot of that. And then I also have quite a clear system that I love. I'm very much into goal setting and mindset work. And so I do invest quite a lot of time sitting back and looking at what are our goals? What are we achieving? Where, I guess, what's the gap between where we are now? We want to get here. What's holding us back? And how do you fix that bit? So it's that mix of looking at the big picture and then going, right, I need to then figure out this process, this operations, this team, whatever it is that needs addressing. I tend to shift between those two roles. How does that translate into the type of culture that you want to create and the type of people that you look to bring into the organization. I mean, when you're only 15, every person really matters, right? Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's very important. So to me, the team, I guess I want to say enthusiasm, right? That's my number one thing. I think that when people are enthusiastic, you can get so much more done because they are driven. They want to do it and they can see there's a real purpose and a goal and a reason to do something and they'll throw their energy into it. So energetic and enthusiastic, I think is key, but then also that collaborative side and we don't always get it right, but how people work together and support each other. If someone needs something, okay, here, here we are, we're helping each other because we've got this sort of shared goal and vision. So I think that working with the team and trying to nurture that sort of, we're all open. And I had feedback from the team that may feel comfortable saying something if something isn't working or something we did just poor or whatever it's like okay yeah and the focus is all about sort of acknowledging that and then figuring out how do you make it better next time it's always how do you make it better so i never want anyone to be afraid to say if something isn't working or we've made a mistake or or anything like that so it's a real open sharing type of culture that i like to think we have you talked about goal setting a minute ago is that something mm-hmm. that you do sort of in the background on your own and thinking about like what you're doing as the leader of the organization, or is it more of a participatory process like you were describing other aspects of what you do with the others? So initially, it's very much a solitary thing. So I sit Mm. back. So I have an annual goals day for my business and I have a separate one personally. And in my business, I sit there and look at, okay, what have we achieved? I think reflecting on what you've done is always a great place to start. And then again, sort of what could we be, you know, where could we go? What makes sense? What might fit naturally or where might we have to develop to grow something? And then working through our different areas and looking at opportunities. So, so I tend to do a lot of that initially myself. And then I go to my business partner, Andrew, and we will often get together through the year. We'll at least once a quarter, sometimes more. And we just sit there and we brainstorm ideas and we come up with things. And that always sort of fills us both with kind of enthusiasm and drive. Then the next stage is how do you communicate that to the team? And some of it can be just iterative, like explaining, okay, in this area, we want to move in this direction or we want to shift a little bit. Or it could be 
more of a, right, we are going to like online training, we want to develop in this space. So here's what we're going to do. And we communicate that to everyone. So we do weekly team calls with everyone on Zoom and everyone will either share some of the strategic stuff or we'll talk operationally about things. But then we also do a team get together. So we actually did our first one post COVID. It's taken us a little while, but we have people in America and we have people over the UK. And so getting everyone together can be challenging sometimes. And that's where we all brainstorm together and go, okay, you know, how can we develop in this space or grow that area of the business? And those can be really insightful and great when you've got everyone sort of just throwing ideas out. So yeah, yeah. a mix, I guess. You mentioned mindset a minute ago as well. Where does that come in? Is this like Carol Dweck, growth mindset, fixed mindset, or or mindset more generally? Absolutely. I use that with my kids. I think it's really important to always think about having that growth mindset is key. And I just feel like everyone's mindset in our team, particularly mine and Andrew's, if we're leading things, has to be switched on. It has to be focused in the right way because you can show up and you can be scared, you can be intimidated, you could be worried about things that are going on. If you come with the mindset of enthusiasm or belief in yourself and that, yes, you can do this, the solutions you come up with for any given challenge on any given day are going to be quite different. And so you've got to pay attention to that. And it doesn't mean that every day you're going to feel amazing and and go in and crush it because that isn't real life. But when you can recognize those days where you're not quite on top of it, you save those decisions. You wait till you're in a better place to make them. So to me, I think that's probably the number one thing I think Mm. is important in business. It's interesting. The Dweck work, I think I really just first came into contact maybe a year or so ago. It is a very foundational way of thinking about not just work, but life, right? We all operate somewhere in between uh, growth and fixed. And as you say, some days we're probably more over one way and more over the other way, but at least it it just gets you to kind of operate just with a completely different point of view in mind, which I found really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I love all that. And I think awareness is probably the number one thing. So like you can learn all mm. these strategies, but recognizing in the moment, sort of how you're feeling and whether you are more in the sort of fixed mindset or the growth mindset and how can you shift from one side to the other? Or I think that that's key. You talked earlier about how you spend your time, but is there an overall kind of target mix that you try to achieve across the different types of things you could be doing? Yes and no. So I work four days a week. I take Fridays off, very precious to me. So I do have like a sort of weekly rhythm that I go through. So so like a Monday is very much focused on what do I want to achieve this week? And that ties back to my goal days and making sure that I'm in line with what I want to be doing and not necessarily fully just all about responding to things that are happening. So it's trying to step back, be more strategic, make sure I'm aware of what my priorities are and look at the two to three chunky things I want to achieve in that week and then how it's going to flow out and how that's going to look. And then we do our team call on a Monday afternoon. So that's looking at all the products, making sure everything's on track and where are the gaps and do we need to put more attention over here or there? So so Monday is that quite strategic sort of view of things. And then as well, responding to people, making sure I've caught up with whatever is going on in any given day. And then I tend to have Tuesday is more of a sales focus. And I we do a sales call. I look at what the pipeline looks like and make sure the materials are there. 
we talk about certain clients. So, and again, that's mixed in with stuff that's going on, just responding and making sure we're on top of things. Wednesday is more of a marketing day, just because I have my call with my marketing agency that we work through. So to get up to speed with that, I'm looking at where we're at, where are our results, what strategies are working or not working. And then Thursday tends to be like my race to get everything else done. It's like, oh my God, it's my last day in the office. So I just get lots of little things off my list, just knocks up. So that's sort of the general pattern that I've just fallen into. And I really love it that way. It works for me. So you've described a very sort of regimented weekly schedule. I sense that sort of your style in general, right? Is to be very buttoned up on all of those things. I guess so. Yeah, I do. I love systems and I love organization and I love being clear about where we want to do. But I will say that there are times where I go, if I feel particularly driven about doing something over here, the rest of it can get like, I'll ignore the rest and I'll focus on that because I can just, my energy is going that way. And so that's where I'm going to get the best results. So sometimes I'll mess with it if I feel so inclined, but yeah, I do. I like the regular pattern to things. Yeah. But at least it gives you some consistency in terms of those different areas, as you mentioned, that focusing on the team on Mondays, the sales focus on Tuesdays, the marketing focus on Wednesdays. You hit the different aspects of your business systematically when you do it that way. Yeah. You're not going to miss anything, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I'm sure things pop up, particularly around events and issues that will happen when you've got time around events. But otherwise, I would imagine that you can kind of keep that rhythm reasonably well, just given the nature of the business. Yeah, it does work well. And I think as long as I keep up on Slack, which is what we use to communicate, it's like, okay, yep. some are busier than others, but pretty much everything is in hand. And again, having a great team now covering, we've had years where we haven't had enough people or we haven't had someone handling something. So I was jumping in and doing a lot of those things, which I don't feel the need to do so much anymore. So yeah, I can yeah. afford to be more organized about where I spend my time. You've been an observer of our industry for a long time, the financial services industry. How do you think it's changed since you started doing this 20 odd years ago? Obviously, the technology has changed hugely and we've watched that happen. And that's been absolutely fascinating. And especially you know, being in financial services where there is the budget and the inclination, you get to see a lot of very cool developments happening first. So that's been amazing. I think it's a little bit tighter is a weird word, but there's so many more regulations now and yes. they're so much more cautious than they were 20 plus years ago, you know, 25 years ago when I was writing about it. And so I feel like maybe it's lost a little bit of its fun in that way, but it's grown up a lot. So those would be my sort of general observations with it. But of course, there's always shifting focus. So for a good number of years, we had like MIFID 2, and now we have a lot of the market abuse things. Now we have AI coming in and impacting and making people question how are things going to work crypto and digital assets are threatening the sort of traditional financial model. And there's lots of interesting areas that we're looking at. Which I'm sure is fun, right? I mean, you've got a team that I would imagine loves being at the heart of some of those leading edge changes that are going on across the different technology aspects of financial services. And there's, to your point, there's been tremendous change over the last 20 years from a technology perspective, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so. one of the things we really do invest in, for example, last week, some of my team were in New York and we have these great advisory boards in each of our different areas. And they are practitioners who are senior managers, really experienced and who are sort of at the coalface, you know, they're dealing with all of these issues and trying to work their way through it. And we host these lunches and they just share so much valuable information about where they're going. And, And my team are just 
I know they consider themselves incredibly fortunate to have this information shared with them about exactly what are the issues? What are the cool tech solutions coming down the pipe? Who are the movers and shakers in the industry? And where's the exciting good stuff happening? And so, yeah, we get a lot of insight that way that then feeds into our events and webinars and handbooks and all of those kind of things we deliver. It amazes me. There's a lot of content-oriented businesses research businesses that seem to take more of an arm's length approach to the industry than you're describing. And it does seem like it's a missed opportunity if you don't have the advisory board kind of construct where people can speak off the record a bit more freely. They'll tell you what's really going on, not the sort of formal public answer. And you get a much deeper insight into the true state of things than I think you do if if you try and keep that arm's length arrangement. Yeah, I think it's essential. I really do. So we come up with agendas for our events and we can see what's going on and we write a lot of content about trends in the industry or who's bought whom or or those kind of questions. And we come up with an agenda, but then we host these advisory board lunches and the insight you get from them, because it is really people who are hands-on every day in, day out doing this work. It's all about the nuances. It's these things that you just can't pick up by reading about it. You have to be face-to-face and talking to people. And yeah. our agenda then shifts and you you emphasize different elements. And suddenly you come up with an amazing agenda and you then attract really good speakers. And that's then how you attract the audience. So to me, doing a surface level thing will get you so far, but you need to get those nuances to make it the really powerful event or piece of content that it needs to be. I was first introduced to A-Team Group. I think Andrew was probably the first one I met and through the lens of data. And it became pretty clear pretty quickly that on the ground view into how the industry was doing things was something that you put a real emphasis on. And for me, that was always a differentiator. I would sing your praises to other people who hadn't heard of you at that point. Well, thank um, you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know encouraging them to get plugged in because it really struck me from those early days that I got to know you. Fantastic. Thank you. Always lovely to hear that. (laughs) So we talked a little bit about how the industry has changed. How do you think you've changed over the last 20 years of running this business? Yeah, massively, I would say. So probably number one is in confidence. You know, what I said at the start of sort of looking at going, well, should I be running a business? I don't know how to run a business, all those kind of things. And so now just feeling very comfortable with where I'm at and knowing sort of what I need to do to make this business a success year on year, you know, because every year you sort of start again and you have to start selling it and all of that. So I think that absolutely, but also I love personal development and I do a lot of work in that. And I think that's really helped me find quite a calm way to approach business. Whereas in the early days, I think I was more frantic and like, I've got to do everything and I've got to go to every meeting. And I just have found a way to manage it. And I feel like I have a great sort of work-life balance and I still run a business. I do a lot with my kids. I'm at home. I have time for myself and my friends. I think the balance is probably the number one thing that I feel I finally, probably this past five years or so, got to a really good place. What strengths do you feel like have helped you to be successful over the years? So probably the number one thing is adaptability. So one of the strengths we have, I think, is because we are relatively small, it's being able to see when something is changing in the industry or with our clients and being able to shift and go, right, okay, you know what? We're so attached to that. Like we loved our magazine. It was great. 
okay, no, that's not going to work in this current climate. We cancel right. that. We move online. We do this. The whole sort of pandemic events, oh my God, live events are not going to work anymore. What do we do? Right. Let's put all our energy into shifting it online and building our own platform. So we have control. And then smaller things like we used to be very much about publishing and then we realized advertising suddenly wasn't coming in. So figuring out actually content marketing is what companies need next, where the budgets are going on, is how do you use high value content to market yourself and build awareness and generate Mm. quality leads and those kinds of things. So it's constantly trying to figure out what do people want? How are we going to help connect them? And then what does that mean for us operationally? How do you make that shift and change all of those things? And it can be really painful sometimes, like letting go of the attachment you had to things that were working before, like, why aren't they working now? And then the sort of pain of actually sitting there through the night, the night before our first virtual event, figuring out whether all the tech elements had had been going back and forth with the developers on that platform and horrible things like that. But when you look back on it, you're like, oh, that was amazing. Look how we got through that. And the more you do it, the more your confidence builds and you feel like you could take another challenge that might come your way and adapt and shift to something that's going to work better. You mentioned development a minute ago. What are the areas that you're focused on developing right now? Personally, so I'm very much focused on, I think, in order to have balance in life, you have to look at your mindset, but you also have to look at your body. So exercise, nutrition is something I spend a lot of time on. Meditation, I think, is absolutely amazing and can really help you to manage the stresses of running a business and everything else. So I like to explore those different things, and I spend a lot of time on that. Then I personally would love to develop more of a business around that. Like, How could we coach other people to incorporate Mm. that, particularly business owners and potentially female business owners. That's the space I know and and understand. So could I help other sort of younger entrepreneurs to incorporate that earlier than I did and that help them build their business? So ideas around that that I get quite excited about. That's good that you've got those things you get excited about. What else do you do to recharge, keep yourself energized? Well, I just came back from a ski trip. That was awesome. Love that with the kids, doing lots of things with the kids. So they've just been off for Easter. So we did an escape from yesterday. We did some golfing. So yeah, anything that's sort of fun activities, but I also, I love exercise and yoga and going out on walks. I live near the Brecon Beacons. So there's lots Mm -hmm. of walks around here, doing a bit of river swimming on the weekend and then music, singing, those kind of things. That's what I love to do. You talked about Carol Dweck earlier. What other books or speakers or entrepreneurs or whatever have influence the way that you think about how you run your business or even how you live your life? Yeah. So I think there's so many. I spend a lot of time reading personal development books or listening to podcasts, and I struggle to think of who they are sometimes. But you've got your big players like your Tony Robbins or your Brendan Bouchard and those kind of people. So I've done a a few of Tony Robbins events, which are crazy, but pretty insightful. And then there was a person called Chris Nelson who has written a book called Wake Up and Soar. I did a workshop in London with him and he was the calmest man I'd ever seen. And he 
runs a yoga and breathing practice somewhere in India or something. And he'd traveled over to London and he just exuded this calm. And I, so I'm, I look at that and go, and I think about it probably weekly and go, okay, I'm not there yet. How do I get to that? And so there's those kind yeah, of things. Yeah. And then a lot of people on the health side, but particularly a, a guy called Ari Witten, who runs a thing called the Energy Blueprint. Mm-hmm. And he is all into the science of mitochondria and how you fuel the human body to have energy, to do everything else that you want to do. So yeah, whole mix of people, really. Interesting. So what's ahead for A-Team Group? So the way that we look at things is we have a model that's working really well right now, and we have certain domain areas. So we're in data management, we're in reg tech, we're in trading tech. Just over a year ago, we moved into ESG, so the environmental, Mm -hmm. social, and governance side of things, the data and tech end of that. And so a lot of our focus was on that and how do you building a new event, creating a handbook in that space, building the editorial practice around it. So yeah, that was a big focus. And so we look at where we might have new market segments. So one that we're playing with a bit now is digital assets because that comes out of the trading tech space. And we think is going to be huge. We're waiting for the regulation to come down the line that's going to then impact how institutions handle digital assets. And once that starts to get going, that's where we think there's an opportunity. So we're hosting a briefing in London, New York later this year, and then we might do some more around that next year. And then, so there's a couple of other areas that we're looking at, just a very topic-based that sort of fit around us, but expand us out to new audiences. And then the other way is what can you do to the model? And so how do you expand that? So the online training has been something I've spent quite a lot of time on over the past sort of six months or so. We may look at more detailed research. So in the early days, I put together a report about the reference data industry and looked at sort of all the key players and how do you evaluate them and that kind of thing. So that might be an area we get into. So yeah, I'm playing with a few ideas that we'll look at over time. When you look back on your career, what do you wish somebody had told you when you were back in your earlier days? Probably... It sounds very, very corny, but really to just believe in yourself and know that you will figure out ways to address things if you give yourself the space and the calm to do it. Surrounding yourself with really great people who will inspire you and help you and give you ideas and that you just get energy from other people. You just bounce ideas off them. I think that that's really important. Keep an eye on your cash flow. So I, early days didn't really, wasn't on top of that at all. And now I'm in my cash flow spreadsheet pretty much every day. And I've had a couple of like near misses a good few years ago now, but just things that really open your eyes to it. You really have to be on top of that. It's no good saying, oh, but I'm all about the business. I get this industry. Someone else will do the finance. You have to be on top of it because otherwise, yeah, you're just at risk. And then having a system as well is putting a system in place where you know what you're delivering, where your clients are, who your contacts are, and having it all tied together so that you can manage all your projects, all the team knows, and you're on the same page and all the materials are in the right place. So I'm a big fan of organizational systems like that. So yeah, those kind of things I think are key and something I wish I'd learned earlier. Any other career lessons that you'd want our audience to take away? I think just the awareness and listening to your clients, you know, you've got to be aware of what's happening in your market and how things are shifting and being open to change. Don't cling to something just because it worked before, because if things are shifting, you are going to get left behind. You have to 
being open to the idea of change. Yeah, that adaptability point that you brought up earlier in the conversation absolutely, absolutely is yeah. important. So look, I appreciate your time. It's good to getting to know you a little bit better. We've crossed paths a little bit in my interactions with A-Team Group, but I've probably been- dealt more with Andrew over the years. And this is really great. It's good to hear sort of an on-the-ground perspective, an entrepreneur running a content-focused business. And you've obviously been doing it successfully for quite some time now. Well, thank you very much. It's been great talking to you. And I love what you're doing with your podcast. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. And have a good rest of your day. Okay, you too. I'd like to thank Angela for joining me today to talk about her entrepreneurial journey, founding and leading A-Team Group. If you're ready to take control of your career, visit pathwise.io. If you'd like more regular career insights, you can become a Pathwise member. It's free. You can also sign up on the website for our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Career Sessions, Career Lessons. We hope the nuggets of wisdom shared today help guide your path to the successful career of your dreams. This podcast series is part of Pathwise.io, which is here to help you live the career you want. We provide a comprehensive mix of career and professional development events, insights, tools, and exercises backed by a group of leading coaches and other career management experts. If you aspire to something more or just something different in your career, join us at pathwise.io. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. See you again on the next episode.